God, we thank you for this opportunity just to worship you in this moment. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your promises to us. We thank you for your holiness that in that, that you are completely set apart. And we declare that to you this morning because we need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded in this moment of who it is that we're worshiping and the reverence and awe that is due your name. And we as, as, as fallen, broken people are in awe of what you have done and how you want to intersect with our lives. We are deeply, uh, deeply grateful for the gospel and your grace spoken over our lives through it, the invitation to it. And I ask that as we continue just to uh, uh, seek you this morning, that we would come as a needy people and that we would come ready to uh, now turn our attention to your word and would you guide us and awaken our hearts through your word and challenge us with it. Thank you so much for choosing to be present with us. And I pray that through the power of your spirit, you continue to speak and lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. And uh, so happy um, just to be here with you uh, this weekend. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Hope you got some fun plans for today and tomorrow. And uh, uh, many of you know that last week I was up in a, a preaching up in Traverse City and uh, love visiting that church, Harvest Bible Chapel up there. And uh, Pastor Doug is just a personal friend and uh, love the support between our churches as a fellow uh, a Great Commission Collective Church and uh, just love, love, love how God's working in different places and so thankful for Pastor Jeremy uh, to come and lead us through uh, the end of Acts chapter 12 and uh, today we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 13. Um, and what's happening now is, is that as we're in this, this sub-series, Missional, um, the, the gospel is moving out and the churches are expanding and there's an acceleration to this growth. And it's happening as, as God's people are being used by God to build his church. And it's happening right now, right now in, in this service. This is a gathering place for God's people. It's a, a spirit-filled exchange that We've been asking and praying that God, God's spirit will be working through the worship and the word and then we open the doors and we invite God's people in and now what we're asking you to do is just to come in and enter in and to, like you've already been singing with such great joy and anticipation for who we believe God to be and then uh, now we're gonna open God's word and as I begin to preach through God's word, I've prepared saying, God, what do you have for your people? And our response sitting here listening is to say, hey, um, I'm asking God's spirit to lead me and to teach me in this moment from your word. So that's what we're going after. And I'm ready. I hope you're ready. And so here we are in Acts chapter 13. You can get your Bibles open there. But let me just start with this. Um, um, I, I love music. How, how many of you just love music, have it on all the time in your home? Um, music leaves an indelible mark on us, doesn't it? Like you could hear songs and you could be brought back uh, to this specific moment in time when you remember maybe hearing it for the first time or it's tied to a significant moment in your life. I love how you could begin to hear the tunes of um, music scores for certain movies, right? You guys, you can hear the tunes immediately. You're like, that movie. And, and I love this, um, the picture of what happens. I'm uh, not skilled in music at all. I've never played an instrument, but I do admire people who do and 
when you get these um, orchestras that come together, they're able to take all these individual people with different instruments and they follow one clear set of notes and it brings all of these instruments and all these instrumentalists together in perfect harmony. And there's a song that comes from that and it's beautiful and it, it, it grips our heart at times with this idea of music and I believe God created music and I, I want us to see today how God's mission is orchestrated through the proclamation of his word. We've seen it many different times uh, throughout Acts already. We've pointed to it, but we're going to point to it again because what we're going to see is how all of us, think about it like this, different instrumentalists, we have varying personalities and backgrounds. We all have different spiritual gifts through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we come under this unifying guidance of God's word and I want you to see this this morning, that God's mission is orchestrated in beautiful unity when we sit under the proclamation of the word. More simply, here's the idea this morning we're going to see in Acts chapter 13, God's mission is orchestrated through the proclamation of his word. That's it. That's the big idea. So let's walk through the passage together and let's see uh, this focus on God's word. Uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So let me just point out a few things really quickly in this first few verses. First off, um, there are multiple uh, prophets and teachers from all sorts of backgrounds coming together in the church in Antioch. The, the Antioch church was um, incredibly ethnically diverse, and they would have uh, the place they were located at, they were the sending center all around the word, world for the gospel. And so you see all these people from different backgrounds. Then there's this, they're worshiping and, and, and fasting and praying together. Why? Because they're they're living in this moment that we still live in on this side of heaven where they're asking the question, God, how is the mission going to go forward? How and through who? How and through who? How and through who? That's constantly the repetition throughout the book of Acts. How and through who? And so they're like, uh, clearly it's Barnabas and Saul. They lay their hands on them. There's like this commissioning. This is where the church gets this idea of ordination from. And they lay their hands on them, they pray for them, and then they send them out. They send them out on the mission. Look in verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Okay, so let me just stop there. I want you to get a picture of, of where this is at location-wise. It's helpful to see these are real places. Look at this map. They went from Antioch down to Seleucia. So they went to the coast. They found a boat. They got in the boat, went all the way down to Salamis. This is Cyprus, an island right in the middle of the Mediterranean. They land on the east coast of Cyprus in Salamis, and they're journeying through the island, as we're going to see in a second, proclaiming the word of God. And then they arrive at Paphos. 
So follow along with me. Let's look at this. So now they've encountered this false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Proconsul, just so you understand this clearly, the proconsul was the Roman governor of the entire island. Okay? The Roman governor, this was the most powerful leadership position in the entire island. Sergius Paulus was his name, and look what it says. A man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So as a good leader, he was aware of what was happening in his island, and now there's these men that are talking about this word of God and this gospel, and Sergius is like, um, I want to hear about this. Let me understand it. Now, we're not sure whether his intention was to stop it or to find out more about it, but we know that he sought to hear the word of God. It's right there. Then in verse 8, But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So clearly, the proconsul is being kind of turned towards the Lord in the gospel. And Elymas is like, nope, 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 nope. He's like opposing. That's at least the picture in my mind of Elymas. I'm not sure how this played out, but it's a little bit of a tense moment, right? Somebody communicating the gospel, somebody else opposing them. This didn't have to after. It was happening all together. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, there's his new name, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Okay, if you're getting a little nervous, you should be. Verse 10, and said, you son of the devil, You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand, immediately blinded. And, I mean, let's be honest, like, I mean, Paul kind of lets him have it here. This isn't a moment where you're like, oh, I think they're getting along. This is, this is a strong word. And then, verse 12, in the midst of all this playing out, then the proconsul believed he came to faith in Jesus. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. If you look just in this passage, you can see that um, central to this section is the proclamation of the word of God the proclamation of the word of God. You have the word being proclaimed. You have a seeking to hear the word and you have this astonishment at the word. God's mission is orchestrated through the proclamation of his word. There's three ways that I want us to see as we work through the passage. Just follow along with me. The first one is this, announce the word. Announce the word. Three ways that God's word is orchestrating the mission of God. Three ways that God's word is central to everything about the mission. The first part of this is announcing the word. The word translated proclaim is an important word. I found this definition of this word proclaim. Check this out. Uh, By its very nature, declaring the unique historical reality of Jesus. So there's there's an idea in proclaim in the scriptures, in the New Testament, it's declaring the historical reality of Jesus. This word must also be instruction, admonition, and tradition. So it's got some instruction directing us how to live, it's got some admonition and encouragement, and it's got some traditions rooted in history. But it is teaching which participates in the eschatological and dramatic character of the message, and all you need to understand there is, to break that down, 
are these three things. These are three elements of proclamation inherent in this definition. One, if you're like, am I proclaiming? Am I doing it? Here's the, here's the key components. You are announcing the person and the work of Jesus. That is proclam- That is biblical proclamation. It's got to have with it an element that says Jesus is who he said he is. Second, it's calling hearers to walk in the way of Jesus. Calling hearers to walk in the way of Jesus. And so here we have a, a call to decision, a call, a move. In the Bible, the other word that's used uh, for calling people to walk in the way of Jesus is repentance. Repentance. And then finally, with an appropriate urgency. The whole idea of eschatological means that the end is coming, Jesus has, 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 been, has risen from the dead, and then he's, um, he, he's, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and there's a point in time when he's going to come to return. And there's a life that we live that we don't know how much longer we have, and so there's an appropriate urgency to this proclamation. This idea of proclamation is what, if you look at the content of any of the sermons that we've studied in the book of Acts, you'll see it here. You'll see a reference to Jesus and the redemptive story. You'll see a calling of people to turn and to walk in the way of Jesus. And you'll see this appropriate urgency to it. This is the nature of what it looks like when the gospel is being communicated and, 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 and the importance of it being communicated. I, I want us to see that when there's a personal nature to announcements, it just gives it an extra power and weight. Isn't that true? Like, it, there's a difference between me standing here and going, hey, hey, I've got an announcement that I want everybody to hear. There's a difference between that and if I walk off and I go up to somebody, and he's nervous right now, he's not sure what I'm gonna do to him, and, and you make an announcement to somebody one-on-one, immediately the weight change. You're like, uh-oh, Brian's got something to tell him. Like, that's not, that, and, and you feel the weight and the gravity of that moment. Do you approach God's word realizing that the God who breathed that word into existence is wanting to speak it directly to your life. When you understand that, it gives the word a level of gravity because God is wanting to speak directly to you. It's a personal and loving God who wants to point your heart and announce to you the person and the work of Jesus. It's a personal God who wants to call you to walk in the way of Jesus increasing. It's a personal God that's present and close, that, that has an appropriate urgency. Individually in your time with the word, in the word or, or when you're learning from God's word in our church or through other ministries, here's the central question. What word is being announced over your life? What, what word is being announced right into the very specifics of your life and your season of life right now? Second Timothy says scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training so that the man of God can be complete. Joshua 1.8 says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that, so that, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
And I love that last part. It's like the motivator. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Profitable, complete, prosperous success. Forget the American dream. The gospel dream is way better. And it will sustain for eternity. All the outcomes of receiving the word of God announced over your life, it's the nature of the, God at, of, of, the, of the word of God at work. And you need to ask the question again and again, what word is being announced over your life? Do you know it? Do you have it? Where is God's word teaching you, reproving you, changing you, correcting you, training you? What is the thing you're striving to be careful to do? And again and again, I just want to hit it over and over and over again in our church. More than the amount of the Bible that you are reading, what word is being announced over your life? More than I, more encouraging to me certainly than, oh, I really liked the sermon, is that there is a word that God spoke to me in the midst of that, that I has been announced over my life and it is in me and it is working its way through my heart and mind and, 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 and my emotions and the, the direction in which I live and that word has been announced over my life and I've received it from him. More than I go to church, what word is being announced over your life. Announce the word, church. Understand that that's part of the fundamental nature of it. When you understand that, you'll be able to see how God's mission is orchestrated through the proclamation of the word. That's the first one. The second one is this. It's anchored in the word. Anchored in the word. Sergius here, this proconsul, Roman proconsul, a Gentile, he, he sought to hear the word of God. Just, just that, I, I could do an entire message just on the idea of what it looks like just to seek to hear the word of God. Not conclude, not go, oh, I, I know what that means, but to really seek to hear it. And, and so the message is being preached to him, and and he's being called to faith in Christ, and then this Bar-Jesus starts to oppose the message, which, by the way, I'm clearly the best name for a false prophet or false teacher, okay? Like, like bar people from hearing and understanding Jesus, clearly. Bar-Jesus. So that's definitely in the category of names not to give your children. Please, no Bar-Jesuses in the nursery. So you have Bar-Jesus, he's opposing the message, and it says there clearly in the scriptures, it says he's trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He's trying to turn him away. And then this declaration from, from Paul at the very end, he says, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? After he calls him some names. I don't know about you, I've never been called son of the devil before. I'm hoping never to have that be the case, but if it happens... I will be like, nope, that's Bar-Jesus, not me. Thank you very much. And so he's, he's, he's saying here, Paul, in, in out of, I believe, his genuine, loving, pastoral heart is standing up when the gospel's on the line and he's like, will you, will you stop it? Stop twisting God's straight paths. 
It's translated right ways in the NIV. I think it's just such a great idea that there's this right and straight way and there's false teaching that can come and want to make crooked what God wants to make straight. I hate, I hate when straight paths are made crooked. <clears throat> it's why one of my favorite parts in uh, reflecting back on uh, six years ago, transitioning my family from Chicago here to uh, Michigan is um, the summers in Chicago, there is no such thing as a straight path from one place to another. Not a chance. I mean, so much construction and signs and, and, and road detours that any place you want to go, you're like, I think it'll take me half an hour. Hour and a half later, you're like, nope. Like changing and switching lanes and all sorts of crookedness on what should be straight. And you're just like, just give me a straight path. Give me a straight path. But way more painful to me uh, than the swerving that's required in a summer in Chicago to get from one place to another is the swerving that I see and the crooked path that I see some people taking when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a constant burden to me. It is a frustration to me. There is times I want to get behind the, and identify where the, the mistruth is coming from and be like, you son of the devil. Probably would never say that to anyone. That's not a good move. But, but, but that's what I feel in that. I, I, I hate when the temptation in my own heart leads me to a place where I'm like, I'm taking a crooked path and it's straight. The gospel is straight and clear and simple. And there's all these different kind of bar Jesuses that, that can lead us away from the faith. And I was thinking about this. What are some of the primary false teachings in our culture that make crooked what God has, has set straight in the gospel? And we were talking about it amongst our staff. And here's six for you. And there's certainly more than that. But here's six crooked paths. That, that oftentimes take the straight gospel and make it crooked. Here's the first one, a path of consumerism. In each one of these, I've highlighted a central question and a focus to maybe identify where these might be sneaking into your life like sometimes they sneak into mine. Path of consumerism, you ask, what do I get? What do I get? Well, I mean, we do have a gift bag for you. Pastor Jeremy kind of gave you something, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and the focus here is on what do I get from God? Instead of recognizing that when you've got God, you've got everything. Path of religiosity. The question here is, how can it stay the same? Just, just, I don't want it to change. Here, the focus is on the routine, not the transformation. This is going through the motions. It's action without intention. It's just like, I'm just doing what I've done all my life. Just religious activity. Just hoping it'll do something in my life. Just religious motion. Third path of comfort. How can it be easier? That's my aim. I'm going to avoid hard things. I'm going to chase only the things that seem to be easier. I focus on Christ until the cost is too high or too all-consuming or too pervasive. And then I'm like, nope. I want this much but not that much. I'll agree with you as long as I don't have to act too radical in regards to this gospel. 
I'll give, but I'm going to stop at the edge of sacrifice. That's a path of comfort. Then this one, path of performance. Path of performance is, um, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? This is the focus on my righteousness instead of the righteousness of Christ. This is the type A personality that's like, hey, hey, I want to be approved by God. So give me the list, and I'm going to check all the boxes off. Look at me. I'm righteous. I mean, that's the idea here. And it twists the truth of the gospel. Instead of trying to earn my righteousness, I receive perfect righteousness from Christ through faith. That is a miracle. It's not this idea in, in the path of performance that, man, if you don't live up to all of my specific convictions that I have categorized into a nice, simple, easy list, you're out. The only the people who check those boxes off are in. Path of performance. Then this one, number five, the path of universalism. The person here asks the question, how can the gospel be exclusive? How can it be exclusive? And the focus here is on being inclusive instead of the message of Christ. And so what happens is, is people feel necessary, they, they feel it necessary to, to, to twist and to move around elements of the gospel and, and the implications of what Jesus Christ has said because ultimately the God they bow before, before bowing before Jesus, is the God of inclusiveness. This one's pervasive in our culture at every level, and it's infiltrated into the church in massive ways. And we have to be aware of this. There is a humility that says, God, although I don't understand all the pieces of this, ultimately you are the foundation of truth, and my life and my uh, obedience of my life bows before you, even when it seems to go against what I want, which leads me to the last one, number six, the path of self. And this, the question here, this is the, the question here on this path is, shouldn't my life be defined by what works for me? Here you find themes of people um, talking about how I'm just so glad I've, um, I've, I've found happiness. That's, that's what you hear oftentimes. It's this idea that, oh man, I'm so glad that Christianity is good for you. It's a path of self. It's a path of self. It's a focus on my desires my happiness instead of the self-denial of Christ. Path of self. And church, before we can understand, before we can say no to um, uh, a Satan's schemes is we need to be aware of them, and, and this is to help us understand that um, we've got to look at these collectively and say um, to the Lord, God, please protect my heart from the way that false teachers can lead me down these paths. They're making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And let me just give us a picture, just walking through these six. Let me give you a picture of what the gospel does when it cuts a straight line. Number one, Christ is enough. What more do you need when you know the God of the Bible and his son and his spirit? When he's encountered your life, the Christ that you get in the gospel is absolutely enough. You don't need anything else. Number two, you cannot stay the same when you're in a relationship with God. You can't stay the same. You can't go through the motions when there's a relationship with God that stands in front of you consistently in your life. You can't. 
Number three, God teaches to expect, teaches you to expect difficulty, and more than any other reality or teaching in the world, gives us such a sense and an understanding of evil and fallenness. We know sin, we understand its source, we understand the war that we're engaged in against the enemy and the flesh, and we can explain suffering within the confines of the gospel. Number four, God teaches you to do the right things, teaches you to do right things as worship. It's worship. It's out of faith because of what Christ has done, not to earn his love. Number five, Christ declared, no one comes to the Father except through me. And to understand the, the, the realities and the key points of the gospel is to understand that it inherently has to be exclusive. It's the only way that fallen, sinful man can be reconciled with a perfect, holy God. There has to be a substitution and there has to be faith in that substitution that appropriates it over my life. And then six, it shows you, the gospel does it, your life is not about you. And that the greatest freedom that the gospel talks about is freeing yourself from self. And to find in Christ something that is so much more satisfying to live for than for self. Protect your life from going down crooked paths by focusing exclusively on the message of God. This word must be the primary study of your life. It must then become the primary lens through which you see the world and the primary authority over every area of your life. It must be your anchor. It must be your anchor. And in this this world, uh, there, there is so many Uh, waves of doctrine and truth that come sweeping through the church and through our world. And if your life is not anchored in the gospel, it will just toss you all over the place. And I tragically uh, have a vantage point where I see that all the time. And uh, I can warn, I can encourage, but ultimately where the word of God has become the central place of your study and your lens and your authority, you will be stable in whatever winds and waves come. But I wanna ask you the question this morning and I wanna challenge you to stop faking it. Stop faking it. God is not mocked and uh, you will reap what you sow and if, if the only time that your Bible gets dusted off is on Sunday, it's going to be apparent to you and to others. You're called to apply it, not just to read it. You're, you're called to transformation, not just knowledge. The enemy will try to distract us from this central, key, straight truth that God wants us to walk in. Is your life anchored in the Word? Is it anchored there? really and truthfully anchored there. Because God's mission is orchestrated through the proclamation of his word. And where God's mission is coming to life, there is great joy and peace. Yes, challenge, but a goodness over that. Is your life anchored in the word? And then this last one, astonished by the word. So Sergius is in this interaction with with Paul and Barnabas and then, then Elymas tries to jump in and, and, and turn him from the faith, but Paul literally calls down darkness over him, blindness. The blindness there is so obviously a reflection of his heart. 
Sergius sees what's happening and he believes in the gospel. And then there's that last phrase in verse 12 that just caught me. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. Why? Why? For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished. He wasn't astonished by Paul's ability to make an argument. He wasn't, he wasn't astonished by the situation that was playing out with Elymas, although I'm certain that he was a bit astonished by him suddenly being blind. He wasn't astonished by anything else that we know for sure, but what we do know is he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. His faith wasn't then rooted in Paul's giftedness or or, or because he was afraid of being blinded like Elymas. His faith, his belief is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was astonished and that should be the human response to the gospel. Definition of the gospel is good news. And so here's the picture. Now understand that holding a newspaper is normally not the best illustration of good news in our world today, which you'll have to work with me, okay? So when you receive good news in the gospel, here's some of the elements of it. Section one, you're like, there's a character of who God is that's been revealed to me in his word. There's a goodness to that. There should be an astonishment. The Bible refers to a reverence and awe about God, that his, his love and his mercy are, are parts of who he is. His holiness completely set apart. And then you open up to section two and, and you see that the, that the word of God, the story of God, the redemption, it, it outlines perfectly sin and fallenness and gives us an understanding of why this world in some ways is, is a wrestling and a struggle and there's sin and ugliness and evil that plays out. And you begin to understand that more and you're astonished by it. Section three, you begin to learn about the message and the truth of Jesus Christ and you start to hear about his life and now you're drawn into this person who, who, who the word says that he came into the world because he loved us and you begin to hear the words of his ministry and you begin to see his encouragement and then you hear of his death and his, then his resurrection and, and then his exaltation and you start to hear about the character of this Jesus And then you you turn to the next section, section four, and you start to realize with great joy that that the gospel has been offered to you. This isn't just a a story now. This is something that I've been invited to. It's an opportunity. And through faith in Christ that this good news means that I can be invited into that and I can walk with God and have relationship with him and experience forgiveness. And then I I turn because I'm so excited and now in section five, all I hear about is, is the right path that God has for me and I realize there's life in the gospel. And now I'm looking at all the opportunities and the, and the things that God calls me to and the places where he wants to bring peace into my life. And this truth, this good news never gets old. And I just want more and more of it. Like the Bible never stops astonishing me. I came to faith in August of 1994, almost 27 years ago. And over those 27 years, I've spent my life giving myself to consuming and processing and applying the teaching of the word and it is still astonishing me. It should still be astonishing me. 
we, we, we say it's the word of God. We say it's the teaching of the Lord. The same one that we just sang holy, holy, holy to is the same one who gave us his word. I'm astonished by the fact that every time I open it, it's almost as if God gave me a new issue of the good news, right? It's personally written to me. There's an aspect of engaging God's word that when you understand the spirit that wants to move and the God who stands behind the word that wants to engage us as we approach the word, we start to realize that the word of God leads us to the person of God. And so every morning I wake up and it's a new edition and I, I read a, a part of God's word that I might have read a hundred times, but not today. Not with what's going on in my life right now not in my season of life, not in the decisions that are in front of me or the trials that, that lie right around the corner. And now I read that word and I'm astonished by it. I'm astonished of the way that the Spirit of God wants to take the word and weave it around my heart. I'm, I'm shocked by the moments where I see my name in it, where I see the invitation, where I see the glory of the character of God and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And I see the way that my life is to be led by this and I open it with anticipation and with joy and with astonishment. And I long for it more and more and I'm not satisfied with a one message on a Sunday and I, I wanna study it for myself and the, I realize then again and again more and more that the gospel doesn't lose impact over time, it grows over time because there's new headlines for every season of life and every situation that I face. And then what begins to happen is just like when I am astonished by a story that plays out in our world that I read in some news source, what happens then is, is I'm compelled to, to stand up and to go and to tell somebody, have you heard the story? Sometimes there's a tragicness to that story and sometimes it's something that's encouraging or maybe even funny. And when people receive good news, they're compelled to tell other people about it. And now you can see how the proclamation of the word is central to the mission of God. Church, listen, stay in the word until the word astounds you. Stay in the word until the word astounds you. If it feels tired right now, if you just feel like you're not connecting, I'll never forget the advice of a pastor who came across me in a situation like that where the word was tiresome to me and he said, stay in the Psalms until you have a song that draws you out. It's just beautiful advice. The Psalms meet us right in these moments in a unique way. And, uh, because here's the thing, church, for the mission to go forward, we need a people. We need to be asking God to bring this in us and to develop in us and a, a, a sense of being astonished by the word. Astonished by it. God's mission is orchestrated through the proclamation of his word. First announced, then anchored, and then astounded. And so let me leave us with this, this missional move. I wanna challenge you to always have one thing God is speaking to you from his word. Search for it. Ask other people to guide you if you're just like, I don't even know where to start. We got a church full of people. Anybody comes up to me, I can walk alongside you or direct you to somebody who can in our small groups, in all of our interactions, in our council. We're wanting to get to a place where we are having one thing that God is speaking to us from his word. And, and, and we want to have that. And, and so in community with other believers, 
in our small groups. Let that be the question. What is the one thing God is speaking to you from his word? And it's part of, our, it's part of the mission because that's our testimony. And, and when we begin to have God's word working and, and reconciling and changing and transforming us, then, then people are going to be drawn to our lives, I promise you. D.L. Moody famously said this. He said, set yourself on fire and people will come to watch you burn. That quite simply is our evangelism philosophy. Set your life on fire with the passion for God and his word and his transformation and people will come to watch you burn. It comes from announcing the word. It comes from being anchored in the word and it comes from being astounded by the word. Let your testimony of God's word working be so clear and so reflective of the God that we worship that people are going to be asking you questions about your life and when you step in to talk about how to walk through or navigate a situation, they're gonna be like, I know your way is straight. And so what I want to do is I just want to give us some space right now before we close with the final song. And I just want us just to bow our heads right now where we're at and I just want us to begin to uh, talk to the Lord about this. If you've got a word, maybe in what you heard in this message, maybe in um, uh, some time in the word in the past few days, I pray that right now that you just be asking God, God, apply this to my life. Make it alive in me. Let me submit to this. Let me see life rightly through this word that you're speaking. Maybe for some this morning, I pray in this moment that they would just be, you'd be talking to God and some of you just need to confess, God, my heart has been far from your word. And there's something that I've been holding on to instead of that. And so I pray that we would just offer that to the Lord right now. Some of us, God, just need to know where to find some things in the word, and I pray, God, that we would have the humility to ask someone to come alongside our lives. So would we just pray now? Let's just pray as a people. Let's just seek God right now, that the proclamation of the word would advance God's mission through our church. Just pray now for a few moments, and I'll close this out in a second. God, I, I look into the world and I see such a lack of clarity. Such confusion and posing and posturing and 
depravity everywhere. And I just ask that you would help us as a people return to the clarity of the gospel. I pray, God, that it would be announced over us, that that would be our approach to your word, that we would be listening for it and knowing that you want to bring it personally to us, that it would create anticipation and joy in us. I pray that we would anchor our lives in it, that it would keep us on a straight path when everything in our world wants to lead us down crooked paths. I pray, God, that you would cause our hearts and our minds to be astounded by your word, just in awe of it, that it truly would captivate our heart like nothing else, that it would be the source of our strength and the guide to the way that we live and that we would be astonished by it, that we would believe. God, I pray some even here this morning that have never believed in Jesus Christ would, would know that they could turn in this moment knowing nothing more than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and knowing that you came and that you died and that for their sin and they can come right now and receive that. I pray they just turn to you in this moment and then make that truth known. And for all of us who are living under the gospel, would the truth of what you're doing be made known to the world? Would we go in confidence knowing we have everything in the gospel? So give us a great ability to risk for that gospel and for that mission. God, let your mission advance through the proclamation of your word, both in being received and in being proclaimed to our world. We trust you in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.